0: All right, folks, welcome, 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 y'all, to the Air Anders Link Show. We've got an incredible guest today, Mr. Links himself, Tom Watson from Kansas. We met at Royal Port Rush, where this interview took place uh, just in advance of the open at Royal Port Rush. Shane Lowry's magical win. We can reflect on that. We were sitting upstairs in the clubhouse of Royal Port Rush, where All of the wonderful membership and staff had really made us feel at home. Um, We were visiting there, uh, playing in the Open Links Invitational uh, as a guest of the RNA. And, you know, obviously you probably have seen, if if you haven't seen it already, please go to the RNA's YouTube channel or you can go to randomgolfclub.com to watch the video that we made for the RNA called The History, A Brief History of the Open. And it's one of the few films that, um, took a year to make, and it's a 20-minute video, so imagine that. Um, it was a labor of love. We put everything we had into it, and I'm very, very proud of the work we did there. We incorporated a lot of archival footage and I think really told a very interesting story. Anyway, this interview uh, was part of that film, and it was such a great interview with Tom. He was so generous with his time that we decided to turn it into a podcast, so um, that's... uh that's what you're about to listen to that. This is the amuse bouche. I'm getting your mouth ready, your ears ready rather, uh, to listen to a a really incredible, um, chat that I, I was so grateful to have. And, you know, he, 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 we went out on the course and walked us through the old, the whole experience of being on the 18th green there with Jack during the duel in the sun and ultimately coming away with the, uh, the win with the, I think he had an eight footer, um, to uh, to get down to win and avoid a playoff. So, yeah, I mean, the interview speaks for itself. Um, I will say before we get started, very proud to welcome a new sponsor to the Random Golf Club Universe. That's Whoop. You may have seen me wearing a, quote, watch on my right wrist. That's not a watch. It's a Whoop strap, W-H-O-O-P, and they're offering uh, a discount. I don't quite know what it is. It could be 15%. I don't know. It's pro- It could be more uh, if you use the code EAL. And um, my experience with this wonderful device, this wearable technology, is that it helps me get better sleep. It helps me understand the strain that I'm going through throughout the day, whether I'm you know, on the bike, it connects to my Peloton, or whether I'm just walking 18 holes of golf, which, by the way, actually is pretty strenuous. I didn't really realize that's why I need a nap in the middle of the day, folks, if I play a 6 a.m. round. Um, But definitely go check it out. They've obviously, you probably heard the news that they gave one out to every PGA Tour player because it actually has been proven to help identify, um, you know, subtle, I guess, biometric changes in your body that could lead to uh, early um, uh, detection of COVID. So, you know, a lot of reasons to try this thing. A lot of athletes have been loving it, obviously, Rory and Justin Thomas. So check that out. Welcome to the podcast and thank you for listening. Um, Head over to randomgolfclub.com where we have a new, really exciting website with lots of stories and articles. And also on there, if you've been listening, this is is one of the early podcasts you've listened to. We've got a lot of uh, breakdowns of some of my favorite podcasts on there. So you can go there, you can see photos from the podcast. A lot of times there's video, and then there's a breakdown of the time of the podcast and what you're actually listening to. So Definitely go check that out and enjoy. Got articles coming, uh, you know, uh, throughout the week. And then, of course, there's obviously a lot of wonderful merch that we've worked very hard on creating. We've got gloves from Asher. We've got, um, what else do we have? We have hats. Obviously, we have a lot of hats. We've got a Vineyard Vines collection actually dropping this week. Um, So there's going to be a vest, a jacket, a couple golf polos with snowball on them. We've got one with the RGC monogram. And, um, you know, just, just tons of new slang and stuff, slang and stuff over there. So check that out. Of course, uh, the thing that's really made my year for me has been the all are welcome hat where we donate, um, all the profits to the ACLU, the American civil liberties union and to the know your rights camp. That's Colin Kaepernick's, um, inspirational, uh, fund there for people of color and minorities. So, Really excited to uh, witness the colossal support. We've already donated over $20,000 through just the sales of the All our Welcome hats. There's a rope hat. There's a dad hat. It says when you walk onto any golf course or walk into any cafe, right, it says two things. One is it says, I welcome anyone who plays this game. And also, if you go into a cafe, it says golf is actually not what you thought it was. So you're actually telling the world a very important message about this wonderful game that we all love, that we need to do a better job of helping it out in the public eye by non-golfers. Without further ado, enjoy the interview with Tom Watson, and thank you very much for listening to the Eric Andrews Lang Show. So how do you sum up your career.
1: Well my career started uh, when I was six years old with with my dad giving me my first lesson. He said son put your left hand on the club look down see two knuckles have that V pointing to your right shoulder and same thing with your right hand have that V pointing toward your right shoulder. That's that's how my career started and uh, it's evolved from that. My dad's passion for the game, uh, his friends, People that I grew up with, uh, my great friend and teacher and fellow golf pro now or was, Stan Thirst. He's a lovely man. He taught me so much about the game and how to treat people, and uh, you know, just being around golfers has has enriched uh, my my career and made me understand what golf, the game of golf, is all about. And the game of golf is all about passion. It's all about passion. You meet. You meet golfers who are passionate golfers. uh, You instantly have a bond with them, Uh, and that's uh, uh, it. You know, we share that kind of inner circle of uh, of of, uh, friendship about the game, and that's uh, that's essentially that's my career in a nutshell. You know, I've 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 played golf uh, all my life. I am a golfer. It defines me in a lot of ways, and I'm. uh, 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 I'm very grateful to be able to play a game for a living.
0: You talk about passion a lot, that's something that I think about. My life revolves around the game of golf. Do you ever consider your life without golf? And if so, how does that feel? No, I never consider that. I'm curious to know, a lot of people in America watching this have never played Lynx golf. Can you describe the sensations associated with playing golf in the UK?
1: Well, the first thing people think about when they come and play golf on Lynx golfers golf courses over here is the weather. They they think about uh, rain suits, umbrellas, wind, uh, and that's the first thing to think about. You got to prepare for it. And then once they get over there and they play a, a true Lynx golf course where the the conditions are firm, I mean the, the ground. There's a certain ring and thump to a to a shot you hit off the ground with an iron. Yeah, that's. Uh, is not replicated hardly anywhere else in the world because it's on the sandy soil here, and it's there's a ring to it that's uh, uh, it's, it's, it's unique. Um, but playing Lynx golf is uh, is different than playing uh, soft golf courses. Uh, the def, true definition of Lynx golf is bounce. The ball bounces. It rolls, and you have and the, the key for success in Lynx golf is hitting the ball the right distance. How do, you, how do you hit the ball through the air and allow for the roll to come up to the distance you want it to go? Uh, then, you have to, then the variables start uh, entering into that picture of the, all the, the hillocks and the bumps and the humps and the valleys and, and uh, then you add to that factor wind. What, how, uh, how much does the wind make the ball you know, go forward you know, and going downwind? And, how much does it stop it going into the wind, but going downwind is the hardest one to judge how far that ball is going to go.
0: You came here for what I believe was your first time playing Lynx Golf, what was your taste for it then?
1: Well I, I first played uh, here at Carnoustie in the Open Championship, my first experience on Lynx Golf, and it, frankly it wasn't at Carnoustie. For reasons that uh, are still kind of baffle me, we, we weren't allowed to play a practice round on the Sunday before the tournament. The qualifiers had the run of the course then, so uh, we went and we, and we got, a, there was an arrangement made for us to play Montefiath Golf Club, and that was, was a true Lynx golf course down just five miles from Carnoustie uh, on, on the east coast there. And my first tee ball I hit out, uh, and I thought I hit it right down the middle of fairway, and and. Uh, John Mahaffey and Hubert Green were were my playing partners and we couldn't find my ball. (laughs) And I said, wait a minute, where's the ball? I I hit it down the middle of the fairway (laughs) and uh, finally I just dropped the ball from where I thought it should be and hit a shot and then lastly I just said, let me just take one more look. I couldn't just leave a golf ball. You never can leave a golf ball. (laughs) And I went over way way off to the side over here and found it in a small depression. Uh, it was hidden from any of our views. And I said, "I don't like this. I don't like. It. I hit it right down the middle of the fairway, and it ball bounded left and into you know into this little small depression, little sandy depression. And I said, yeah. yeah this is uh, this is not fair.' Well." Bottom line is golf's not a fair game, but uh, I struggled with uh, accepting Lynx golf and the bad bounces for several years until I finally said, "Enough of this uh, pity pot stuff and whining. You, know, you better get with it and, and you just accept your fate and uh, and play you know play on." And and uh, I'd won a couple, it'd been actually three Open Championships by that time until I truly accepted
0: it. So. That's interesting. Your first ever experience with it was frustrating, but you still managed. I didn't to, like it. You still managed to bring home the Claret Jug. Yeah. Champion Golfer of the Year, and you were still left feeling. Did you? Did you even then, after winning, feel like it was still unfair, or did that yeah, come later? Yeah. Sure, I did. Can you talk about the role of fairness in golf?
1: No, it's an unfair game. It's very simple. Uh, you know, you hit a good shot and you get a bad break. You hit a bad shot and get a good break, uh, and. If you hit a bad shot and gets a good break, your opponents are, are complaining. If you hit a good shot and, get, and you, hit a, you hit a bad break, you complain.
0: Your career has had so many moments of what seems to me on the outside as sheer will. I don't really, I, I, I have a hard time believing that you would subscribe to the uh, role of luck. I mean, I know and I believe it's true. I, I've, I've seen it over time and time again, but you, your career has these moments of just will, that it just seems like you decide that you're going to win, and the ball goes in the hole in the number of strokes that it needs to go in. Can you describe the difference between that sort of luck role and the role of will and sheer, I guess it's confidence?
1: It's, it's about the acceptance of, of uh, the luck involved. That's what, uh, that's what it's all about. The will is uh, inbred, or it's you practice uh, you, know, you practice hard enough, where you just um, you have a trust in your in your in your abilities, and uh, you, you have an innermost desire to win, and and uh, come hell or high water, you're going to win. Uh, but the luck is the uh, uh, is the is the factor that uh, uh, especially on Lynx golf courses you have to deal with, and I had a hard time dealing with it at first. I mean, as I as I said before, um, but finally, it's just a it's a matter you have to accept your fate, you know, in 2009 I had a great shot in the last hole at Turnberry and uh, as luck would have it, it hit, a, it hit on a down slope and it went over the green and I failed to get the ball up and down. I still had control of the situation. If I get the ball up and down I win the Open Championship and, uh, at an advanced age, but uh, you know, I accepted it. You know, it, was, it was hard to accept it, that's just the way the game is. And it was easier to accept, I think, probably because I'd won five open championships. It was my only chance of winning an open championship. It may have been a lot harder to accept it. But, uh, in fact, you know, even in that case, you do have to accept your fate and say,
0: well, uh, that's that's just the way the, the ball bounces, you know, to be trite about it. On some level, do you feel like Lynx golf is like, mandatory higher learning for all golfers. I know when I came and played the old courses my first round of Lynx golf and there was four seasons in one day. And I remember walking away feeling upset. And it's so ironic to me that millions of people come to golf every year and have that experience of, of sort of being upset. Do you think on some level that's one of the reasons that we play golf?
1: Well, to, to understand the game uh, fully, you have to uh, realize that uh, when you play around a round of golf, your par changes depending on the conditions. If you know, if they're perfect conditions, you expect okay, this is the the best this course is going to play, and you know, I, I expect to shoot a lower score. When the conditions get difficult, uh, you have to readjust your um, your score. Your you know what you know what uh, you know, what it takes to uh, to shoot your best score on that day. Uh, You know, know, the the difficult conditions take away, uh, you know, from what perfect conditions give you. And you have to, again, it's an acceptance level. And, you know, if you go out and you shoot a 74 on a a really tough, windy day at Carnoustie, you played a great round of golf. Uh, If you shoot a 74 on on a windless day, uh, as as happened in my first Open Championship at Carnoustie, the field was going to lap you. And, uh, you know, you understood that. You understand that as a golfer. Uh, you know, the more you play the game, you understand that your par
0: level changes as, as the conditions change. Um, I'm assuming you watch the Open Championship on television these days. I do. Do you think about... What, what do you think about? Do you, do you think about 1977? Not really. Only when you bring it up. When they bring it up on television, do you think about Because they must say this is known as the best... Tournament in our era. Well,
1: you know, Stenson and Mickelson had uh, even a better tournament uh, when when they went head to head at Troon. You would say better. Why?
0: Because they shot way under par.
1: I mean, even, even more under par. A pair Jack of sixty threes
0: versus sixty fives.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I can't believe you'd say that. Well, it's, it's the fact. <laughs> Stuart and I woke up early in LA that morning and watched it. And I've only been in watching golf for eight years, so. Having seen that, it was incredible. I wish I had seen yours. I wasn't. I would have been negative four years old at the time. That's about right. Yeah. How has golf changed for you over the years? You've seen such a wonderful growth and. and well,
1: it's it, it's changed. Uh, you know, the game itself has changed because the balls changed. The ball goes straighter and farther, and that's the biggest change in the game. And uh, as a result, uh, the, the players hit the ball uh, more accurately and they hit it farther. And the cor- golf courses have to uh... for the major championship or any championship they have to uh, uh... allow for that and that's what's happened so the game has changed that way But essentially uh... you know the way you play the game hasn't changed a lot the ball goes offline more you have to um, you know, in the old days it spun more so you had to you, you really had to be careful about uh, controlling the spin of the golf ball more so than you do today uh... but still it, it, the bottom line of the game still is you tee the ball up and you try to get the ball in the hole in the fewest strokes as possible that hasn't changed it didn't change from 1860 when the first open championship was played at the 12-hole golf course at Prestwick at old Prestwick it hasn't changed since then it's still the same game
0: Ooh, that is a line thank you for that um what would you describe as perfect golf weather
1: anytime you can be on a golf course
0: I was afraid you'd say something like that. And then as far as your love of golf, what, what would you say is, is, how do you incorporate travel with that? I mean, I'm assuming you love traveling, is that true? Well, you have to travel to play. And
1: uh, that's the one thing that, you know, the one thing I miss the most uh, about traveling is and, and playing golf on the tours that I don't have weekends off anymore unless I'm playing badly. You know, weekends, we used to look forward to Friday. I mean, as, you know, TGIF, you know, you had Saturday and Sunday to kind of do what you wanted to do. And uh, you uh, don't have that luxury when you're playing the tour
0: anymore. As far as the, I'm curious to know, the the sights and the sounds of Lynx Golf. When you show up here, what is it to you that signifies the golf without, but but just in the, the, the things that you see and smell and hear?
1: Well, the... The one thing about an open championship is different than in any place else. Is the I think the crowd reactions to shots. I think the crowds are a little bit more knowledgeable here about uh, a the difference between a good shot and a bad shot. You know, especially when you have tough conditions. When you have tough conditions, the ball gets on the green, just gets on the green, and they and they applaud. You know they are excited that you know, somebody hit the ball on the green here, uh, and. That has something to do with the way the game is played on uh, on Link's golf courses the way you know what what Links golf courses give you versus the lush go- golf courses we play elsewhere um, And uh, it does you know, you don't hear uh, Be the ball or mashed potatoes or you demand. We don't we don't you know, we don't hear that much over here
0: some but not much and then as far as uh, without even tournament play, but just sort of visiting over here, the culture of golf in the UK, do you sort of, when you go home, do you miss certain aspects of the, you know, group sociology of golf over here?
1: No, I don't miss it at all. Because the, the, the one thing we have always said about here is that golf is a fabric. It's part of the fabric of life for everybody over here. Uh, people who don't even play the game understand that it, uh, it's an important element of their, their culture. Uh, golf is part of is a big part of their culture, and and uh, uh, they respect it, and they uh, they give it you know, they give it their due respect. Uh, and you know with uh, and, you know growing up as a kid when I was you know, six years old, as I said, you know my dad you know, had a great passion for the game. People in the, in the UK have a great passion for the game, and uh, it shows up uh, in lots of different places that it. That doesn't necessarily show up in America.
0: All right, hitting you up at the ad break here. I got a couple to run through. Jones Golf Bags, y'all, made in Portland. These bags are uh, they go back to the 70s. You're going to recognize these if you're older, and if you're not, you're going to be like, those look retro. They're awesome. Well, they are awesome, and they're also wonderfully priced. They also have some random golf club bags. Uh, we are getting a new bag up and running, so... Check back on the website for that. We're currently sold out of all the current bags that we have through Jones, Um, but stay tuned. You can sign up for the mailing list at randomgolfclub.com or head over to Jones Golf Bags. Follow them on Instagram: Jones underscore Sports underscore Co. They make the best bags in the biz. They've got dual straps, single straps. They probably have a triple strap. They've got stand bags. Um, They my one of the best is I like the original bag. I like the Player series. I also like the Ranger or the Rover. One of the two. Either way, I love that bag, and I love the guys that make up Jones, TaylorMade folks. TaylorMade is a family, and it's a team. They've been so generous with their staff players for the Ace Cam videos for us, and obviously the Sim driver has changed my life. I can now I can drive the ball seven thousand yards, and it actually it hits me in the in the butt. It goes so far. Um, but definitely check out all of the things from TaylorMade. I love those guys. Vice, Vice it's a golf ball it's got style it's got class but even more importantly it performs as good as the top performing balls for half the price so check out the Vice commercials you may have seen those I don't know if you have maybe you have I don't know um, we've got a random golf club ball coming out very soon they're on a truck I think we have there's so many balls that they're bringing them in I don't even know how they bring them in they're probably not on a plane because it would weigh the plane down I don't even know Check up randomgolfclub.com for the vice balls coming up. Precision Pro, also big news for Precision Pro coming soon. You've heard me talk about it. I think I can definitively say we're going to be launching this in the middle of August. The Random Golf Club Precision Pro rangefinder comes with free battery replacement for life. It's got a magnet on it. We're going to get the NX9 with the RGC branding. And then all of the other rangefinders they make are wonderful. It's a wonderful family operation up there in Cincinnati. Great crew. Um, and then we have, um, standby. All right. Now I realize why I was stumbling is because I didn't have what I needed to have to tell you about keeps folks. Did you know that two out of three guys will experience some form of male pattern baldness by the time they're 35? The best way to prevent hair loss is to do something about it while you still have hair left. That's the key. They didn't underline that, but I'm underlining it for you. Get treated from home. You used to have to go to the doctor's office for your hair loss prescription. Now, thanks to Keeps, you can visit a doctor online and get hair loss medication delivered right to your home. They make it easy and deliver your medication every three months so you can say goodbye to the pharmacy checkout lines. Not fun during COVID. And awkward doctor visits. Keeps offers generic versions of the only two FDA-approved hair loss products out there. You may have tried them before, but probably never for this price. Quite possible. Prevention is key. Keeps m- Keeps treatments can take up to four to six months or more to see results. So it's important to act fast. Literally press pause and get this. Uh, the sooner you start using keeps, the more hair you'll save. Huh. You're not even saving money. You're saving hairs. We're splitting hairs here, folks. Okay, sorry. No, stop. Find out why keeps has more five-star reviews than any of its competitors and nearly 100,000 men. Trust. That's a, that's an army. That's an army, folks. A hundred thousand hairy men. By the way, they're hairy for sure. Um, keeps keeps snowball. Snowball, you have enough hair. Relax. He's hypoallergenic, so he doesn't even lose it. It's like, come on, man. It's an embarrassment of riches over there, Snowball. It's all white. I know, but you you were born with white hair. Okay, moving on. Keeps uh, their hair loss prevention medication. Keeps treatments starts at just tens dollars per month, plus ten dollars a month. That's a good deal. Plus, for a limited time, you can get your first month free required talking points. This is written in red. Use your talking points, what? To guide the narrative, but put it in your own words. Whoops, too late for that. Uh, (laughs) Okay, I think we're good. Keeps.com, K E E P S dot com slash Anders. That's my name, folks. That's how you get a discount. If you're ready to take action, if you're ready to take action to prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com slash Anders to receive your first month of treatment free. That's 10 bucks off, y'all. If they, if you do it for a year, that's 8%. Quick math. Uh, K-E-E-P-S dot com slash Anders. Um, uh, uh, oh, we do keep customer before and after photos. That's cool. Those are online. You can go look at customer before and after photos. Keeps.com. K-E-E-P-S dot com dot com slash Anders bunch of other stuff that they told me not to do pretty sure i didn't do it anyway much love to y'all check out keeps.com and check out all of our other partners that support randomgolfclub.com and go to randomgolfclub.com to check out stories merch community and more membership coming soon Hey, Sklar Brothers here, Randy and Jason, and we have a couple of podcasts. If you, you know them or you don't know them, check them out. We do View from the Cheap Seats, which is sports and comedy, and we have a podcast called Dumb People Town where we break down stupid behavior done by stupid people in this stupid world of ours. It is hilarious. Check them both out. And now, check out this podcast. Do you feel at home every time you show up to a golf course?
1: I do. I do. It's, you know, this is, uh, this is where people who... Uh, Play the game of golf. They hang out. People who, who have a true passion for the game. It doesn't matter what course you uh, you happen to walk on. Uh, you know this is this is Port Rush right here. This is the theater. Uh, <laughs> today we'll go out and we'll play, and and, uh, and people will experience for the first time what uh, an open championship golf course is like. And they'll probably come back, uh, as we said, frustrated to maybe a, a great degree, but it's it's, um, it's part of the game. You have to deal with the frustrations and the roadblocks and the, the bad bounces and the bad lies in the bunkers, and yet people continue to play the game. And why is that? Why do they continue to play the game? That's what I want to know. Well, you know, because you've hit that shot. You've, made it, you've probably made a hole in one you probably hit you know your your best score you remember that probably shot for shot yeah. that's why you keep on playing the game you never surrender good friend of mine said that said it was uh, he said that a uh, good friend of mine Sandy Tatum got a letter from Alistair Cook who was a, who was a wonderful writer and and uh, you know uh, but he was a lousy golfer <laughs> and and he and Sandy Tatum had a great relationship and he, Alistair wrote him a letter and said, Sandy, well, whilst I'm not the type of golfer you are, this game is still in my blood, and I will never surrender. Uh, something to the effect of that. And, and uh, you know, I've, I've come close to surrendering and hated the game here when things didn't, weren't going well. I, mean, they, I practiced my butt off, and things were getting worse. And and uh, finally, I, I made a kind of out of the box change in my golf swing. and." All of a sudden, wow, this game is easier. Was that with Nelson or that was later? No, that was later. Yeah. I was uh, on the practice tee after a particularly poor practice round at Harbortown at the Heritage Golf Classic, one of my favorite golf courses. In 1994, I was on the practice tee on Tuesday and hitting balls and I was hitting it toe-deep divots and balls going out to the right. And you know, I said, hey, I'm tired of hitting the ball to the right. I couldn't get the the club to really come on the inside through here and finish this way i was always going this way and the impact. so i got myself feeling like i was going this way to impact and what it did is level my shoulder playing out like this and i started striping it man i never looked back after that it was the game got fairly easy now it's getting tougher it's getting tougher now the older i get but uh, you know you have to persevere you have to persevere in this game uh, a type personalities, it's, it's very difficult to, uh, to to play this game with that type of personality because you, know, you want you want results. Yeah. The problem is you can't go out every time and get the type of results you're looking for. You have to deal with the failures and that's what that's what strengthens your character and strengthens your golf game is dealing with the, the failures and trying to figure out why you failed mm. with your golf swing. Go with the practice tee. You work. You work with yourself, or you work with an instructor. Or you use a video. You use the TrackMan. You use all kinds of different things to get better. When you start, uh, when you stop wanting to improve and and just enjoy the game, that's okay. But uh, that's not part of my personality. I still every time I hit a shot, I, I want to know why I missed it. Uh, and, and, and if I hit a good one, I, I enjoy the moment. That I hit a good <laughs> shot. All right. I really did. I still did.
0: So that's why I played the game. Right. Do you mind if we go to 18? Sure. It's crazy to me to think that, to hear you say that at one point ever, you were lost in your swing. Every amateur, I think, looks to you and says, I mean, number one in the world for how many years? Four. A, f- a few. Four? A couple? Four? A few. How is that even conceivable? Were you, are do you get shocked in that moment? Or is it just, or is it just normal for you to just be bewildered by the game in that way? Anytime you play the game you're going to you're going to be uh,
1: dealing with frustration and failure and uh, you know know, the the great golfers uh, uh, they have a certain amount of talent, skill, and practice ethic that they can figure out how to score and once you know know, one of the things that uh, kind of define the way I played the game was be able, I was able to score when I wasn't playing too well. And that's the first thing I had to learn when I came on the tour. Because I thought when I came on the tour I had to play perfect golf to have any sort of success. And I found out quickly that that's not the case because, bottom line later, later on, there, the true discovery was that golf's not a perfect game. and Somebody wrote a book like that. <laughs> I've heard about Bob Rotella. Golf is not a perfect game. And you you understand that and, you know, you look at Seve, the way Seve played sevy played the game with elon you know he was all over the place but he could get the ball up and down out of the ball washer <laughs> and i could do the same thing and i frustrated my opponents doing that you know i right. might i might be you know over here on the down slope like this hit into that green over like that and somehow i get the ball up and down right you know
0: because that was me. How do you, I try to talk about this with people who are new to the game of golf, that every time you miss a fairway or a green, you have an opportunity for something beyond your imagination at that point. Are you, are you thinking creatively about that? What, what drives that result when you do at 17 at Pebble? It's practice.
1: Practice. At 17 at the Pebble in the practice rounds, I practiced that downhill chip shot out of the heavy grass in the three practice rounds I played before the tournament, probably three or four hundred times around Whoa. the greens. So I had practiced that shot, not from that particular place, but similar places around the golf course because that that was a that was a consistent lie you 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 got when you missed the green. If if you didn't go in the bunker, you are on the down slope of heavy grass, having to hit a pitch shot out of the heavy grass. So I was prepared for it. It wasn't. A, a new situation for me.
0: Right. Just typical surgery. Is it possible to put into words the feeling of walking up to the 18th here with people in the grand clapping?
1: I tell you what's, what's fun is when you're coming to the 18th hole with a four-shot lead, and you just hit the ball in the green in two, then you get, you get a chance to maybe relax a little bit. You know, coming up, coming up here. But when you don't have the lead and you're coming up here, the you you recognize the crowds there, but you know, you're
0: focused on one thing, yeah. only one thing. So here we are, the uh, 148th Open. If you go back 148 years, it looked a little different. The field was a little different. At 13 people,
1: 12 pros and an amateur in, 19, in 1860, and uh, it was. Uh, it was just a small event. They started off with a championship belt, like a like a a boxing belt. It had a big big buckle to it, like that, and a leather leather strap to it, and an ornate you know, belt buckle. And they presented that to the open champion champion golfer of the year, as they say now. And they uh, for 12 years, the problem was that Tom Morris Jr. won it the last three years of those 12 years, and they said, you know. You're so good. You just get to keep the belt, Tom, Tommy. <laughs> so they gave him. They gave it to him. They didn't have a. They didn't have? Didn't have a trophy or anything to give in uh, in eighty two in eighteen eighty two, uh, or eighteen seventy two. I guess it was in seventy three. They commissioned the Clare Jug, and that's what uh, is presented to the Open Champion, the Champion Golf of the Year now, uh, and that, uh, that's an iconic symbol, really, that, that Clare Jug, would, um, and it's. Used appropriately by the R.N.A. as far as the you know the, the symbol of the, of the championship. Actually, Jack Nicklaus used it as a symbol for his golf tournament when he started his golf tournament at the Muirfield mm-hmm. in uh, up at, in Dublin, Ohio, at, at uh, the Memorial Memorial Tournament, because right. he, he thought so much of Muirfield and and of course the the Open Championship. So anyway, that uh, after uh, after it started in 1883, there was uh, uh, you know. Lots of, I'm sure lots of claret champagne. I drank some champagne out of the claret jug. I remember that the first time in, in 75 and uh, went back to the hotel room with
0: John and Susie Mahaffey. It was, uh, it was quite, a, quite a wonderful experience. What you, what's under our feet right now when you walk around? You know, Paul was kind of asking this. We have this game that's old and then we have this land that's even older. Do you think about that, of, of what we're walking on?
1: Well, this is sand. You know, I don't know how deep this sand goes. It may go 20 meters. It may go 50 meters of sand before it hits bedrock. So, you know, that's what that's what defines Lynx land. Uh, the ocean is that way. You know, you can see up on top of the hills. You see cattle and sheep up there. Uh, that's the arable land. That's where the you know, it's not sandy. Right. And you uh, you, know, you can grow crops on that type of land. Here, you, there's not enough moisture in the soil to grow. So, what they do with it? Well. The shepherds brought their sheep down here and they, they would probably end up in a little hole like that when the wind was blowing. and They didn't have much to do, but you know, they, they got a stick and a rock and they started backing her, you know, bashing her around and finally figured out that this is, this is kind of a challenge. I'll, I'll, you know, old, old Edward over there, he challenged him to a little game of uh, stick and rock uh, game and uh, it evolved into golf. But it was on the lynx land, you see. And uh, it was easy, it was easy to kind of shape it if you wanted to shape it for a green, because it's just sand, you just push it around, uh, throw some seed on it and you, you've got some grass growing. And, and, uh, uh, but uh, it's, true Lynx golf is, is played on Lynx land, and on the, li- the, the link between the sea and the arable land. And there's really only a handful of
0: courses around the world that are true Lynx golf courses, less than 300. Really? Mm-hmm. I didn't know it was that few. Mm-hmm. What do you think, driving, irons, chipping, or putting, what is the single most important thing? If you're, if you're equal at all of them, what does it take to be the best? Well, you've got to be a great putter, putter, number one.
1: Yeah. If you, if you make putts, you're going to win. If you don't make putts, you're probably not going to win.
0: And then, this might not be the last question, but at any point in your golf career, has anything ever made you cry? Sure, yeah. Uh, not
1: uh, failing to, uh, failing at, uh, at Medina in 1975 in the U.S. Open. I cried, cried hard after, uh, yeah, really just stinking up the joint uh, the last couple of rounds when I had a chance to win the tournament. I wanted to win the most of the U.S. Open. Let me tell you a story about this amphitheater. All right, you see this amphitheater here. You see the scoreboard here. Mm-hmm. It, Turnberry, in 1977, this thing was full of people. Stands were full. I had a one-shot lead over Jack coming into the last, into the last hole. I birdied 17. Jack, he missed about a four-foot four foot putt for birdie to tie me. So I have a one-shot lead, and I come into the last hole, and I hit it this far from the hole with a 7-iron in the last hole. I've got a one-shot lead. And you would think, okay, You've got him now. As my caddy said, Alfie Files said, you've got him now, mister. And I said, nope, he's gonna make that putt because Jack almost hit it unplayable. He took a mighty swing with an eight iron out of rough. There was a lot of grass, about this much on there. Only he could do it. And ball bounded up in the green about 30 feet from the hole. And sure enough, he made the putt. Yeah, 10 feet from the hole, I knew it was dead center. Aim went right in the geometric dead center of the hole. And the crowd went absolutely ballistic. I mean, they, it was a jet engine roar. It was 90 <laughs> to 100 decibels, easy. And it didn't slow down. I'm waiting there. I'm waiting for the crowd to slow down. They kept on cheering. It's just the, the mightiest cheer you've ever heard in your life. And so I said, the heck with this. I'm just going to, I bent over, and I put my ball down, and I picked up the coin, and as I picked up the coin like this, out of the corner of my eye, I see Jack. Jack goes like this. And only in this game of golf would this happen? That crowd went silent in three seconds. It was unbelievable, from a jet engine roar to absolute dead silence in three seconds. Now, that's what the game is all about. The respect for people who play the game, the respect for playing the game the way it should be played. Respect for Jack Nicklaus to say, give him his due. Let him put this putt in silence, as we all should do. And I knocked the ball in. And then when it came off the green, we walked like this. And he grabbed me like this in the shoulder and he said, Tom, I gave you my best shot, but it wasn't good enough. And he's grabbed me like that. And uh, he said, I'm proud of you. I'm Congratulations. I'm happy for you. Wow. And you know, when I walked off the green like that, yeah, I felt that yeah, maybe I can play with the big boys. Yeah. I can play with them. I can beat the best. And that was my goal as a kid, to be the best. And that's why I'm here today. That's how you end the video, Tom. Huh? <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome.